Young hearts run free. Young hearts run free. Young hearts run free. Young hearts run free. Welcome along to the Young Hearts Run Free podcast. We are back after a little one-week hiatus with season six, episode eight, coming at you. Joined as ever by my trusty wingman, deep into preparation for a big race coming up, John Cassidy. How are we doing, John? The boys are back in town, Stevie boy. Um, I'm, how am I? I am good. I am excited and fearful, but we'll come onto that a wee bit more. Deep is right, man. I'm deep, baby. Yeah. So, but there's yeah. been a lot. You know what? You take a week off, right? Mm-hmm. And there's so well. Last weekend was a massive weekend or running, wasn't it? Maybe one of the big weekends in the calendar. So it was a massive weekend of some folk running. It was an even ma- a mere massive weekend for us watching all the running. Aye, oh, definitely. Virtually. The again, the level of coverage from UTMB especially has just went up through the roof. I watched that YouTube. Actually, I was watching it on Friday night on YouTube on my big telly, a.k.a. Wendy Wilson, and um, I said to my wife, look at that lovely scenery. My wife loves the scenery. So we could go there one day. She was like, for you running. And got him, she got him Saturday morning. She says, are you still watching that? <laughs> but I hadn't been. I'd been in my bed, but it was on all night, wasn't it? It was unprecedented, I think, the word you're looking for. And yeah. um, impressive. And what, like... What a, what a part of the world to run. We actually speak about that with this week's guest that comes yeah. up. But it was the the big news, I think, for UTMB was something that we noticed right at the very start, wasn't it? It was our big pal, Jim. Hi, JW. Um, big shout out to Jim. Standing at the start line with a pair of long breaks on. John messaged me on WhatsApp. You watching this? Jim Walmsley's got tights on. Like, no, a really important WhatsApp message on a a Friday at tea time. I was like, "What's happening? What's happening?" Wolverine's got tights on. We'll need to speak about this on the podcast. (laughs) But you know what? I wonder why, because virtually nobody else had like long breaks on. Were they compression? I've not heard anything else about it. It Just a choice, a a, a clothing choice. Maybe wasn't happy with the way his pins were looking. Maybe, but he yeah. them off later on. That's when all the shit for him. Oh, it did. It did. The wheels kind of camp. I love Jim. We all do, don't we? Aye. And either, you know, he goes for it. Aye. John Sometimes Kelly tweeted. John Kelly tweeted during the week that he, he had exactly that. He loves that mindset for Jim Walmsley. He says he's going to go. He's going to blitter the course record, and he goes out like he is going to do it. And who would have thought at the start on Friday night it was on for him? He was running like a train. However, what the, the great thing about the footage shows you as well, the second and third man, well, it was five men on a Friday night. There wasn't, wasn't much between them. You know, no. also, although Jim's giving it loudy, there's a few boys just a wee bit back giving it loudy as well. You know? Boys with a no bad pedigree <laughs> as well. <laughs> it wasn't a, wasn't a bad top five. Let's put it that way, man. Quite brilliant. Um, but it does, it's just... I'll just flick on YouTube for 15 minutes 
there like an hour and a half later you're like oh no better go on with my tasks <laughs> oh, my wife's saying to me about nine o'clock we're going to watch that film nah it's better but we ended up did put it off and we did watch a film um but then go up on saturday morning jim's still going like a train and then i went and did something and come back and the shape had changed see me by jim had hit the wall aye big time he was actually he was actually at one point going at jc pace <laughs> there's a brilliant i shared it with you john there's a brilliant clip off that somebody had taken or jim struggling and it was so real wasn't it it was so jesus i've been exactly where he is right now on so many occasions and you know he ground it out he he came third naming feet which is brilliant because the last few times he's chucked it he's not finished you know so he, he actually got across that finish line there's also another great wee video um we, he finished fourth did you know tim because tom evans overtook him oh yeah and there's a great wee video of tom evans actually passing him and there's just a moment between the, the pair of them tom evans is powering on uh-huh probably sucking the soul of Jim Walmsley as he goes, you know, and um, quite an incredible finish from him. But yeah, Jim's day will come and I hope it comes with a course record, but he's going to hit a, up his game a wee bit because your man Killian put in a good shift, didn't he? The goat. Yes, definitely. Un, 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 presently unchallenged is the greatest of all time that we that we know. Quite phenomenal. Recovering from COVID, I believe, still, and he yeah. goes out and breaks the UTMB course record, first ever under 20 hours across that course. Quite phenomenal. Amazing. Good to see Zach Miller back in the yeah. sharp end as well after a couple of years injury woes. And One of my favourite running videos of all time is his finish. Is it the JFK 50 miler or something? Like the North Face 50. North Face 50, he's yeah. leathering it like he's doing a 5k at the at the finish line. Absolutely brilliant. Again, he goes, just gets towed in, but it's good to see him back and running. Again, he's, it's not just them. There's a lot of people have not finished UTMB, but Zach's had a couple of days out there that he's had to pull out. So to get across that finish line, looking healthy, brilliant. Fantastic. Superb. And last on UTMB, big shout out to Neil McRitchie. Yeah. Neil, our guest in last season, um, inspirational guy out there doing the full Buna, the whole UTMB loop and finishing in a stellar time. And I think his last third of his race, reading his wee race report, was a bit of a war of attrition. But Ken and Neil, he sucks it all up and managed to get doing that finish straight looking like a absolute rock star brilliant yeah i seen it he's maybe had a chance to compose himself but i seen a photograph i think it was sandra beatty that posted it of neil in front of the utbm utmb sorry um banners and he's looking a million dollars man so well done to neil mcritchie we should also give a wee shout out to matthew matthew blanchard who just finished five minutes behind killian journey yeah and also the on the ladies race Katie Scheid, pronunciations could be Scheid, um, 23.15, she finished in sub-24, followed very closely by Marianne Hogan, 
24-31. And finally, Caitlin Gerbin, who finished in 25-07. So that was your top three ladies at UTMB as well. It was, yeah. And yeah, the ladies' coverage of the ladies' race is on the, the YouTube channel and things is Aye. moving well, up every year, which is yeah. absolutely brilliant to see because I know that there's um, a lot of people working hard to make that happen. Yeah, and who's the lady? Give me, is it Kareen Malcolm? Is she the co-presenter? While I was watching it, she was talk. They were talking about things were changing in the ladies' race, and she was literally shouting to the producers, "Split the screen! Split the screen! Let's see both!" You know, brilliant. Uh-huh. And the, oh, and then they brought in the big hooker Slido, the big rainbow thing, man. The big shoot. Did you see that? The lit up shoot. I thought I was hallucinating, but I wasn't. It? Hoka, one of the checkpoints at the race, they had this big shoot that you, the runners were running through, and it was all the colours of the rainbow, but moving up and down. It was quite phenomenal. When they showed you a drone shot of that, it was... Uh, a bit trippy, was it not? Well, for me, it could have been, man. So I'm, I'm going to hit a wee word by Johnny Fling and Bill Ayers and see what they're going to do about that. Anyway, that's our UTMB coverage. <laughs> we just talk about it for a couple of minutes, about 10 minutes later. That's it. We'll um, be back next year to talk about it. We will. We will. Um, the other big thing that happened at the weekend was over in Berlin, the World 100K Championships. Um, and Young Hearts Run Free had representatives there, friends of the show, massive friends of the show. Definitely. Yeah. We're starring. We had um, Joe Murphy. Jason Kelly and Sam Amend, who have all been um, in previous episodes, all turning out for Team GB. And I think it's safe to say that Joe Murphy has absolutely smashed it once again in 2022. Well, would you have thought, actually, this is a silly question, but would you have thought Joe Murphy would have done better than she's done in Perth this year? I think no. I think in the same year to improve your 100k, no one but listen to me as if I'm a bloody experienced 100k runner. But, yeah, I'll me, boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the level of training it takes to get to peak at that moment and then the level of, um, of what it takes out of you, the actual yeah. racing part, to be able to then peak again in the same season later in the year is just phenomenal. Yeah, so she's, she's eclipsed that Perth Anglo-Celtic plate time of 7 hours 41 and gone lower. She, well, she went sub 7.40 now. She's 7.38 in 10 seconds, which makes her... She finished 14th woman. 14th is, in the world, John. In the world, on the planet. Just let's think about that just for a second. Joe Murphy. Well done. Absolutely brilliant. Makes her fifth in the UK all-time list as well. So... um. She's not finished yet either. Is she heck? You know, got to give a wee shout out to Neil McNichol, too, our coach. Yeah, we speak with our guest this week as well about the benefits of coaching. We speak about that quite a lot, or having a coach and being coached. So I think Jo has said herself that a lot of her success is down to the work that she's doing with Neil. So shout out to Neil McNichol as well. Also on the European front, mm-hmm. Ali McGill. Friend of the show, FKT supporter, was out there in Tromso, um, having it was a multi-day thing, wasn't it? She was doing a yeah, multi-race, three races over the course of the weekend, I think, um, in a, a stunning, another stunning-looking setting. 
Yeah, yeah, Tromso in, in Norway. And I, I've just, I read the book, Kate Ramsey, Weirini on Instagram. Um, give me a heads up about the book Out and Back by Hilary Allen. And mm, without giving too much away, it starts off in Tromso. And Hilary has quite a horrific injury. I never tell Ali about that before she before she'd done her travels. Um, and um, it was quite coincidental that Ali was out there running last weekend as well, but she had an awesome weekend. She won, they gave her a knife. She won a knife. Did you get that back over on the plane? I'm not sure how you get that back up the road. Maybe you hate to put it in your case and it goes in the hold. You'll not get that up the cabin. But yeah, phenomenal. Looks great photographs, but a great performance. So well done to Ali. Well done. Brilliant. And as we flip the switch and start looking forward, John, you've got a biggish race coming up in uh, about 48 hours time. <laughs> let's, let's just reframe that and use the word race loosely. I'm going for a 24-hour jaunt up just doing for a bag of douche. I'm going up to uh, take part in Glenmore 24. I've said a number of times, this is my me ticking the final box in the rocket events. A list of events that they put on. Going for the Grand Slam. I was meant to do. I'm expecting. A, I'm expecting to get some sort of presentation oh, on Sunday. Fire anyway, life. but the, I was meant to do it a couple of years ago. One of my pals decided to get married on the same day, so I was pretty much tell he went to the wedding. So this is me, man. I'm getting up there. I'm not in the best shape I've ever been in, whatever that shape is. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. I think. There was a wee taster given a couple of weeks back at Rumby Pylon at that event. About I was excited just being up there. I think the weather's looking no bad now. It was predicted to be sort of rainy. I'm not sure. I don't think it's quite as bad now. So, cool. um, But also looking forward to that people thing, man. You know, getting and seeing folk. We can a lot of folk on the start list and who will also be there supporting. So really, really looking forward to this weekend. Starts at Saturday at 12 o'clock. Anyway, I'll be up there. Making sure that John is fueled. Aye, that, that worries me a wee bit, man. This is Thursday. I've mm. no got my grub. I've no got my scran plan done yet. But there will be volume in there, so we'll be all right. I think it's about eight o'clock on a Friday night that Marky's put their yellow stickers on things. Um, <laughs> you'll probably be timing it for that. <laughs> Four buys for five B. Definitely, man. So yeah, there will be. I, I know. In my, I know in my mind what I'm going to be having. I'm going, to be, I'm going to be going in the chicken pot noodles. That's inspired for Lynn Allen, man, our West Highland Way winner. Um, yeah. chat, chat with Lynn, so yeah, that's going to be there. And there'll be other things in there as well. So yeah, looking forward to it and seeing everybody. That's Good luck to everybody who is running and supporting. Because we, we should supporters see. need to get luck as well. Oh, better believe it. And we should also say, we are going to make a constant. We, Stevie Boy, is going to make a concentrated effort this weekend to get the heavy toy out, and we're going to use it. We keep carrying about all Britain. Yeah. This weekend, we're going to do our very best. We had a couple of wee issues with it that we think we've we've got sorted. I am do. I am do. Yeah. So yeah. we're going to be. Don't be scared of the heavy toy. If it's presented to you. No. So, so don't be phased. Yeah. That's it, man. Okay. Last thing no. before we introduce our guest. Sure. A big race opened for entry this week. Oh. Yeah. 
one yeah. that we need to get your heads up about because it's one of those unmissable ones. Antonine Trail Half Marathon in Croy yeah. is now open for entries. Open for entries. What, what date is it getting run? Um, the 30th of October is the race date and entries are open until the 1st of October. So mm-hmm. there's, I had a wee peek. There's, there's already a fair whack of them away. So Aye, It's one of these ones that goes pretty quick. So you get, if you yeah. want, we can put the link in the show notes. We definitely uh, will. The, to the entry page and I know it's one of these it's a very picturesque part of Scotland great wee bit in the in the outside in the trails around about Croy you might even get a wee guest appearance for the boy for Croy you never know um, it's challenging though it's a challenging gig that that half you know so yeah great chance to get there and get some stuff done should also just maybe say eight and fifteen hundreds open for registration stay Eight hundred is open. Throw your hat in the ring. We highly recommend it. It's magic. Tell them we sent you. See, young hearts run free on your referral code. <laughs> Never came what would up in your basket. You'll yeah. get picked to the bottom of the line. <laughs> oh man. Right, so Antonine Trail Race Half Marathon, get in it, definitely. This week's guest, John? This week's guest, hmm. recently we spoke, as you all know, with Rini McGregor, um, and as part of our chat with Rini, a couple of wee flags went up for Stephen and I, and you can us, we're not shy, we'll ask the question, so we said to Rini, See your pal Sabrina for the Black Trail Runners. What about if you put us in touch? So Rini did that and we're, we'll, we'll be forever grateful. So this week's guest is Sabrina Pace Humphreys. We, not, we didn't get to touch on near of the stuff we want to speak to Sabrina about, but um, the main part of the chat was to speak about her work with the Black Trail Runners. And um, I suppose it's about representation, isn't it? That's what we. That's the sort of the aim of Black Trail Runners. But Sabrina's also got a brilliant story to tell, hasn't she? Fantastic. Um, she speaks very well, and she speaks. Her her story is um, well, it's from the heart anyway. That's for sure. She has contended with a lot through life, and I think anything that it's thrown at her, she has turned it round. Um, especially so when she found running and even more so when she found trail running and ultra running. So she's been on mm. quite the wee journey. Yeah. For me, I mean big. Yeah, aye. But you know what? It started off we were certainly running, but it started off we they say a lot of people will resonate with this. You know, regardless, there's something in, in this for everyone. A lot of very important messages. Sabrina is an activist. Um, she's very passionate about what she is involved with and I I think well we wholeheartedly support the cause that Sabrina's behind. So yeah, we're wholly signed up for it. And yeah. yeah. And you'll really, really enjoy this chat with a pretty inspirational lady. Welcome to the Young Hearts Run Free podcast, Sabrina Pace Humphreys. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. It's bank holiday down here in England. I know that it's not bank holiday in Scotland, but yeah. Nice, I'm good. I'm feeling good. 
Well, exactly that. I had to sit and watch the chase because the news isn't on yet because it's a bank <laughs> holiday. That's what you were doing. <laughs> yeah, I was spending a bit of time with Bradley. So <laughs> that's, yeah, I was a little bit delayed. But Sabrina's been, and Stephen have been very gracious uh, for giving me of that. But Sabrina, we were here to speak about, well, a whole host of things. But before we get ploughed into that, we'd like to find out a bit more about Sabrina, the person, and what brought Sabrina into running. So do you want to, you can start at whatever point in your life you wish, but what brought Sabrina into running? What brought me into running was severe postnatal depression. I am a mother of four. I had my last baby in 2009. Um, I've always, since being a little girl, and, and dealing with the trauma of of, of kind of physical and, and physical, mental, racial abuse, I've always kind of suffered with high anxiety and periods of depression, although when I was younger, I didn't really understand what that was. Um, but anyway, fast forward to 2009 and I had had my last, I had my baby, she's now 13, and I was, uh, yeah, I, I went to see my GP and, you know, a bit of a mess and didn't really understand it until she had kind of very much, uh, yeah, diagnosed severe postnatal depression and as a way to, in 2009, you know, social prescription of running was not a thing, wasn't done, but she, alongside medication and talk therapy, she said to me, I think it's really important that you do something for yourself, something like, why not try and jog? And I, I laughed out loud because I was never a runner. I was never a jogger. I, you know, in between having the kids was a bit of a gym bunny. But I would laugh at runners when I would see them going along the road because they always looked like they were in such pain. They always looked like they weren't they weren't really enjoying themselves and they were working really hard. And it was often it was often tall, lithe, white men that I would see in vests and short shorts. So I never saw myself represented within running and, and therefore it was never something I ever considered doing. But I was so I was so mentally ill at that was telling me why not try jog a jogging well, you know why, why not why not try go for a jog I I felt that is something that I should maybe try and that's how in 2009 I, I went out and in a baggy t-shirt an old baggy t-shirt old you know big uh, jogging pants you know Dunlops old Dunlops and um, a bottle of mineral water in hand and uh, yeah, I I ran walk, I, I jog, sorry, I shuffle walked one minute on, one minute off for for a mile. It was it was forty minutes where I didn't want to kill myself. Um, if I'm being really honest with you, it was forty minutes where the thoughts around how awful I felt about myself, how awful I felt about my ability to mother to be a wife, to be a, a functioning human being. It was 40 minutes of all I could think, as many of us know, who started on that running journey and can remember. I All I could think about was breathing, not falling over, and, and actually making it home. You know, I was very unfit. I was five stone overweight. That reprieve from those thoughts 
is ultimately what kept me going back in those early days because that that period when I was running was the only time of the day in those early days when I didn't feel all of those negative destructive thoughts about the human being that I was so we got dark we got deep and dark pretty quickly then didn't we but I have to be honest because I know that a lot of people a lot of people use running for that reason and 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 that very much is how is how I came to the sport how I came to road running initially yeah no thank you no make no apologies thank you very much for for that because I'm sure certainly some of our female listeners in that are listening in will be thinking postnatal depression this is the one for me you know Mm -hmm. we don't we don't there isn't a subject that exists that we don't speak about, but we're happy to speak about anything. And I think I love <clears throat> the way you spoke about the, the doctor. It'd be great if somebody would say put running on a prescription for people. And I think they, mm. they, they maybe do it. They do, maybe don't write the slip, but it's part of that, that conversation, is. you know, and it is amazing, the change. But it's it's always just up to us, though, to take that first step. A lot of people who do start running don't start because they maybe are a wee bit overweight and a bit conscious about how they look, but it's the the rewards are fantastic. So at this early stage, anybody that needs a wee bit of inspiration to lace up the trainers, just go and do it. Maybe you've not got trainers. Yeah. Maybe it's a pair of Dunlop green flashes. And something. that's it. And that was what I had. And you know, I'm I'm really I'm an advocate in terms of of you know, smashing through these stereotypes around what a runner looks like, because mm-hmm. I think that, I think, you know, I'm a woman of colour, you know, I'm a black mixed white race woman, I'm a mum, I'm a grandmother, and I'm a, you know, I'm a certain size, I'm not a, a thin size six, you know, and I think that as a woman, as a female, I think that we are hit with so many stereotypes around what what we are supposed to look like, how we are supposed to train, how fast we are supposed to run. And these are massive barriers. You know, I see them in the work I do that stop stop people, you know, stop women, stop mothers, stop women of a certain size, a certain colour from putting on those green Dunlops, putting on that baggy T-shirt and actually experiencing moving their body forward in a way that feels joyful to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm here I'm here to represent for those those women those people because it's men too you know it's 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 men too so you know being female um, I'm you know I'm an I'm an activist and I'm an advocate of of running being used as a tool to manage help to manage mental health um, mm-hmm. I'm a woman though it's easier to talk about my lived experience there but. Um, but yeah, I'm 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 here for that discussion. I think um, John and I are both certified jog leaders with mm-hmm. Scottish athletics, and we um, have both led zero to five k programs. Mm-hmm. And, okay, maybe no to, to to that level with postnatal depression, but it it was quite a common thing that that we see. John was that. The, the reason I'm not running is because I'm self-conscious of how I'm going to mm-hmm. look going down a street where maybe people I know will see me, like neighbours yeah. or or people in in their local community. And you know, we John and I, like, our 
don't worry about them, just get battered in about it. Like, but it's 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 easy for us to say, but we, we did and I remember working and, and when you're running alongside somebody else, that it's such an open place to have a, a really open discussion, isn't it? And, and maybe stuff that would otherwise be hidden comes out and you can start teasing it out of the runners and, and, and help them along their journey. Um, I, I was going to ask you the question, Sabrina, when you were in those early stages of your running journey, um, overused statement, um, but were you doing that solo? Were you just on your yeah. own? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was because you know I grew up in a uh, I grew up in a you know I, I come from a poor background so you know I'm half Scottish my mum's Scottish and wow. my father's English and um, you know the family the Glaswegian family that we come from like there weren't we my family weren't sporty mm-hmm. so I don't I didn't come from that I didn't surround myself with with people that ran it was just that wasn't my social circle at all so. So yeah, those early days, it was, I was self-coached, you know, I, I think I picked up a copy of Runner's World because somebody had recommended it. And I think I found, I think I found this Couch to 5K plan somewhere in there. Um, But no, I I didn't, I didn't join any, I didn't join any kind of club until a year after that. Um, So I I self-coached from zero to half marathon um over that over the course of that year and uh, no I didn't run with anyone I ran solo um and and I at that point in my life like my life journey is that I have had to navigate spaces quite solo and, and navigate doing hard things alone so it wasn't it wasn't you know it, it was just something that I did I was just like well i knew how much running gave me in terms of the management of my mental health and I knew that I'm quite a goal orientated person yeah so therefore you know I went to uh, you know I got up to 5k and then I was like well what's next and then it was like 10k what's next and then so I did yeah I did my first half marathon um a year later and and then I think I got to the point where I didn't see I didn't see how I could get any further alone and I, I I wanted to learn from other people I wanted to be educated I wanted to be coached and so I so I found and joined a local athletic club and that's a huge step isn't it like massive, that intimidation massive. of their it runners was, yeah um yeah I oh. was really intimidated it was really difficult for me because the town you know, I, I moved to the town that I live in when I was four and I was the only black kid here. So therefore, my lived experience, for, um, you know, for anyone that kind of doesn't know who I am, you know, is is that, you know, I suffered incredible kind of racial abuse, physical and mental abuse from from a young age. And I was targeted because of I was different. You know, I was a black kid in a, in a white town and. So those feelings around putting myself out there, you know, so how I coped with that as I was growing up was to be very, I was very shy. I wouldn't go out. I would, you know, stay at home because I didn't want to, I didn't want to be targeted. I didn't want to deal with that trauma. So actually it was really, and I know this is a massive thing for people, women and men that I talk to even now, it was massive for me to, to actually walk into that athletics club because I didn't, 
And I think this is the thing I do a lot of work with, um, or I've done a lot of work over the past two years with UK athletics. Um, I've been on the race equality network um, there. And I know that, you know, people have a fear of like joining a club that has even athletics in the title because I did not like I was like I'm not an athlete now I'll quite happily call myself an amateur athlete you know I'm a passionate amateur athlete but then I was like I'm not an athlete I just want to jog with other people I just want to run with other people and find new routes with other people um and I can remember that first night I went and I was sweating and my heart was beating and I had to walk into this hall and I had to find somebody I didn't know and say my name and and you know athletics clubs can be clicky you know they are they are clicky and you know you'll go you know and eventually you know I was in a, a group within the athletics club and and you know I would always say if I saw somebody new walking in I would always walk up and say are you new and you know, are you be, are be, because I didn't ever want anyone to feel that sense of like, I don't belong here and no one's talking to me. Um, but it's really scary joining. It's really scary walking in. But what I found is that once I had gone that first night and then had gone for a couple, you know, had had that consistency, people remembered my name. I became, you know, you latch on to people and they latch on to you. And, and in, in, in no time really at all, I, I felt, I felt, I felt that I belonged. And that was a massive, that was a massive thing for me, that sense of belonging and not feeling othered or ignored. I think that is a really powerful message right there about being new to an environment. Um, and regardless of where that is, if it's a running club, if it's a boot club, if it's a place of work, if it's something new, we can, we can get that sweaty, heart-beating way. Mm -hmm. So my wee prompt to anybody listening in, if somebody new comes into your environment, welcome them. Go up and say hello and just say how that's you doing, it. you know? Yeah, that's and that's all it takes, you know, often you know, the community that I work in now. So, you know, I, you know, co-founded kind of Black Trailers, which we'll talk about later. And, and you know, a massive, massive barrier is around feeling safe and feeling mm -hmm. seen. And that feeling seen is exactly as you said, it's often just a smile, mm -hmm. just a, hi, I'm Sab. It, how, you know, are you new here? Can I introduce you to... And that just makes someone just that heart rate just reduce a little and mm -hmm. feel I'm being welcomed rather than okay they're all in their cliques and no one's no one wants to talk to me. It's 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 trying not to regurgitate that kind of school playground stuff because yeah. kind of we've been there once before. We don't need to deal with that again as adults. And so that's yeah you've hit the nail on the head. It's often just a smile and a introducing yourself you know as, as, yeah. as someone that can help I think from the person that's been welcomed in because I've been there it's such a powerful thing because you go away and later on at night you maybe think about that I think that was really nice yeah you know? so pass yeah. that on pass it on for people yeah. yeah and you remember those people don't you I always think that I always remember those people who when I was at my most anxious helped just to take the edge off a little and it and those, those big things that you think about you know, I get asked about you know how I got into running a lot and and I remember I remember that night for me who was the person and I talk about her in my book <laughs> um 
but I remember the woman who was the person that said, hi, I'm yeah. Sharon, and are you new? Do you run? Oh, let me introduce you to... And I'll never, you know, I I was, I became very, very good friends with her. And yeah, she, you never forget those people. Yeah. I, I say this phrase a lot, but I'm going to say it now. The world needs more Sharons. So there you go. Oh, yeah. Shout out, shout out to Sharon. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, I'm intrigued. I never knew about the half Scottish thing. What's going on there? Yeah. Yeah. So my mum was born. My mum is, my mum's maiden name's Kearney. And yeah, my family um, hail from a small, blink and you'll miss it, Scottish mining town in between Glasgow and Edinburgh, a little town called Salisbury, um, which, yeah, a lot of you are just like, what the hell is that? But um, yeah, no, it's, it's basically you've got the um, M74 on one side. And then if you look to the right as you're going past between, between Airdrie and, oh God, uh, I want to say Lark Hall or something like that. If you look to the right for one minute, you would see this little town. And yeah, she was she was born there and my family still live there. Yeah, spent every summer holiday visiting my grandparents and my cousins and my aunties and uncles in Scotland. And, and yeah, yeah, so half Scottish. Right, well, there you go. I never knew that about you. So I'm <laughs> delighted to find out. Delighted <laughs> to find out. Now, we're going to dive a wee bit into the sort of the longer distances Oh, yeah. and, and also some of your adventures that you've had mm. as well. But have you, what would you say is your, your favourite place to run? Oh, my. You know, I live in one of the most beautiful areas of the UK. And it's the Cotswolds. So, you know, we have people come, and we were talking about it earlier, but we have people come here to holiday. And... I'm so privileged to be able to, within my husband and I earlier, within 10 minutes, you know, I can be on this this public footpath that's 104 miles long called the Cotswold Way. And it takes in the whole Cotswold escarpment. It starts in Chicken Camden, it ends in Bath Abbey. And two years ago today, I did my own FKT on it. So I did it all in one go and it was kind of just coming out of lockdown and I'd been training and then all the races had been cancelled. So I was like, right, I'm going to go and run this whole... I I love I love the footpath I love the views and I just think you know there are certain viewpoints that look out across the River Severn over to Wales on a great day you can see Penny Van and the Brecon Beacons the mount, my nearest mountain range which again is probably in my top five places that I love to run um I just I just think and again I know I'm privileged to live here but I love I love running where I live. I love that. It's Cotswold Escarpment. I think a close second for me is probably Chamonix. It's probably the Alps. I just, I fell in love with it in 2019. Um, the beauty of it, the, these places, these, you know, Mont Blanc and the Mont Blanc Massif and the towns and the valleys and the summits around it. It's, I, you know, as I said earlier, we had no money when I was growing. I come from a poor family and I didn't go abroad until I was 17. I did, we didn't go on holidays. The the Alps and the Sahara Desert, which again would be in that top five. These are places that I only saw in picture books. And I never, ever believed that I would that I would visit them. Um, 
So I would say number one, my backyard. A close second would be would be the Mont Blanc kind of you know the Alps area, um, and then yeah it's yeah I guess the it was quite epic running in the Sahara Desert. That was yeah that's definitely top five. I'm sure we'll come to that. <laughs> <laughs> what, what a few places in the planet mentioned there, eh, John? Yeah, Getting yeah, my wonderlust. Anything that up. anything that ends with the word we. Stephen and I, well, maybe we're on board with that. We love the West Highland oh. way, but we've done a few. We've done the river, the river airway. We've done a few things. River, river Tayway. We did our FKT on the River Tayway, John. Remember that yeah. we spoke about it once. <laughs> we, we mentioned it one time, I think. It was maybe, maybe not even half the distance of the Cotswold way, but um, actually, but it's brilliant and it's great that you've got that pleasure of yeah. having that at home. And I think too, I can I'm right on board with that. These places that you could only dream of as a kid. Oh, you've seen it yeah. you maybe seen it on TV or in the cinema, to yeah. actually set foot there is quite brilliant. It, you know? it was special, you know, and I, I was over there in, in twenty nineteen with, you know, um you know, I talk about in the book, I talk about an experience that I had over there when I was training for one of the UTMB races. And it was it was a pretty horrific experience. But even though I was even though I was I dealt with that at the time and I still kind of deal with the kind of trauma of that, actually, the the, the landscape, the beauty of, you know, even last week when I was out there and some of the photos that will just are just you're like, I cannot believe that I get to move my body and see views like this. And because I'm a woman that wants to bring everyone along with her, I'm like, oh, my God, I wish I wish I had such and such here to see this. And and yeah, because it's so I don't come from that life. I don't come from expensive holidays to the Alps or you know safaris I, I don't come from that so running has given me that and for that I'll be forever forever grateful brilliant I'm just drinking that in a wee bit because mm. I, I think that's really powerful you know as it's it's uh, brilliant. got to say as well that you do bring people with you because your social media is quite something as well. So, you know, you're very, very good at that. And we can sometimes live our dreams or be inspired by people's yeah. things on, on social media. But let, let's talk about the marathon, the Sable. Because you, you mentioned earlier, a minute on, a minute off, doing a, running a oh. wee bit. It's quite a jump to take on something like that. When did the ultra marathons come into your? Ultramarathons came into my life when I realised that I had to. So I'm, I'm, and I talk about it within the book, so it's out there. So I'm a recovering alcoholic. So I stopped, um, I, I quit drinking. And as I talk about it within my book, I quit drinking. And then this was two years before my 40th birthday. So how I got to ultramarathons is that. In my early days of recovery, I was sitting thinking, look, I've got this 40th birthday coming. Normally, what I would have in my drinking days is a massive party, loads of booze and, you know, loads of friends and all of that. But I knew that 
that if I wanted to continue to live, I couldn't do that anymore. And I was sitting at home. It was really early days of recovery. And we were, it was a Saturday night and I was, I was, you know, I was anxious. I was like, and I was flicking through the television channels and I came across a documentary, which was narrated by James, uh, what's the Irish actor? I always forget his name. Jimmy Nesbitt. Jimmy Nesbitt. And it was his voice. And it was the start of this documentary about the tough, this race called the toughest foot race on earth. And it was James Cracknell, the rower, and he was like Mm. being sick and bringing up green bile. And James Nesbitt was saying, and this is the Samaritan Disable, the toughest foot race on earth. And I was, I sat through that for an hour thinking, how the hell, why the hell would you run 250 kilometers day after day with your backpack on up sand dunes in 40 degree plus heat but something inside me even though watching it I was like why why would you do that why would you do that and at that point I'd never trail run I'd never gone above a road marathon but I'm very much somebody that goes with gut instinct. And there was something in my gut that was like, that could be your 40th birthday present to yourself. (laughs) 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 That could be the thing. That could be the big thing for that year to kind of really stamp, I'm here, I'm still here, and look what I'm doing. And a couple of months later, when the registrations opened, I hit the registration button to go for it in 2018. That's wow. how I came to the world of ultramarathon running. I think the laugh said it all there, John. Just, just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, that's infectious, um, Sabrina. Thank you. Um, yeah, so that's saw you sign up for the the small matter of the marathon disabled. Yeah, and yeah. that was so. What year was that? Just. So I did it in 2018. So this okay. is 2016 is when I first came across it. And the moment that I hit the registration button, I knew, you know, I, I'm someone that I'm constantly looking, I'm constantly trying to understand where my red line is. So I'm, you know, I have always been goal orientated. I've always wanted to see there's something inside me that's like, what's the limit, Sab? Like, what's your limit as a woman, as a mum, as a, wh- where is it? And um, so, so that, the ultramarathon, that, that stage race, the conditions, the terrain intrigued me, but I knew that I needed to be coached by the right person, you know, put myself in the right position. So I, spoke to a couple of coaches and the person that I went with was a coach called Elizabeth Barnes who won it a couple of times <laughs> so um uh-huh. I, was coached, I was coached by Elizabeth and I couldn't have asked for a better coach she understood my uh my family issues you know being a mum and, and and training and what that would need to look like but I put my heart and soul into training And going to the trails, you know, at that point, I'd never trail run. I'd never been off road. So from 2016, the moment I I pressed that button and started speaking to Elizabeth, I left the roads behind and it was it was all about the trails and a massive passion. Like it felt as if I was Alice in Wonderland and this whole new world was open to me 
um, because in the end with my road running, and I think it, it fed into this kind of, um, I call it kind of the effort button in my life. It's kind of like when I'm hover, hovering over the effort button, it's like my road running had become, I'd started to beat myself up with it because I, I think a lot of people that are in clubs, especially road running clubs, it's that it can be very much about getting faster, getting faster, you know, PBs, PB, smash your PB. Are you going to smash your PB? Are you doing that 10K to smash? And for somebody like me, it fed into all of my feelings of not being good enough, not being, you know, all of that destructive stuff. So actually trail running came to me at exactly the right time because I translated my love for running into a love for like nature and the environment and the outdoors and I haven't looked back I I'm a trail running addict and I'm I'm good with that you know there are worse things I know it there are worse things to be addicted to but ultra marathoning trail running is is nirvana Oof. Oh, well, maybe yes. capture that. Maybe take that wee snippet, Stephen. That could be a wee advert. A hundred percent. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. It's still a big jump to go to the marathon to Sabwa, though. It's like, oh, oh man, the environment, the different kind of training mm. you've got to do. The multi stage. Yeah. The stage aspect as well. It's... But you know, I love. I think that if you're going to, for me. The Marathon Day Star, because it's a stage race, because like I, I'm coming, I'm talking to you now, coming off the spine, like I did the spine, like that, like the Marathon Day Star for me, as because I'm a, I'm a UK Athletics Run Coach too, so I take out like run groups and 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 everything. For me, that transition from like your 26.2 on the road to ultra marathon, I I just think stage racing as that step into it is the best way to do it. So a lot of my like my C and B races in my training cycle for Marathon Day Saab were like two day or three day stage races. Um, and that was really great because it got me A into the habit of, of you know, putting the effort in, but then knowing I had the recovery often overnight to go again the next day. So really starting to tune in and listen to what my body needs and knowing how hard to push when, but also knowing that I would have that recovery. And I think that Elizabeth and I worked so well together in terms of picking those training races to get me ready for the five, you know, the six days of Marathon Day Start. You know, I, I did everything that I could do to replicate the terrain, which is really hard in the UK because the UK is nothing like the Sahara Desert. <laughs> but, but, I you know I did go to a training camp in Lanzarote for a week because Lanzarote terrain and conditions are very similar to that in the Sahara in terms of you know the marathon day star people think it's all sand dunes it's not it's probably 20% dunes the rest of it is quite sometimes quite technical terrain like dried up riverbeds um so the actual dune running my year especially was 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 minimal um it still felt like it was epic when you were doing it because it's so hard but I did everything I was told to do and I think that's the power of I believe in the power of coaching and working with people who have either raced or have a lot of experience in the races that you want to do because I just don't think 
I'm a coach now and the people that I coach are often people that want to do the races that I've done because I understand you the coach understands what needs to happen in that training cycle to get Mm. you to that start line because so many people with marathon day Saab they don't even make the start line because they get injured or Mm. they've overdone it in the training or you know they haven't reached their peak at the right time and those people that I've talked to have more often than not been coached by people that haven't ever done MDS so I just think that it seems like a massive step but I very much am the kind of person I chunk it down so I would just chunk everything down I I wouldn't think about the 250k over six days because I'd just be focusing on the day focus on the day and the distance and focus on what recovery looks like to go into the next day and I think I'm like that with every race I do um I'm sitting smiling because I wonder if the Sabrina in 2015 would have thought the way you're thinking right now. It's just you've learned so much, you know. And I think it's brilliant, too, that you mentioned Elizabeth, that that people are viewing you like that. They're coming to you for advice because you've done that. You've done it. You've experienced it. You know what works for you. Yeah, and it, might, it might work for them or a variation of that might work for them, you know. So. And I think that's that's the key thing, isn't it? It's like we're all these beautiful individuals who are all different. And what works for me, every single aspect of it might might not work for you. But I'm very much, you know, if even one thing that I say to you, even if it's remembering the mantra don't be shit when you're out there. <laughs> or even if it's just, you know, I when I was in the MBS, I li- I lived off serene malt loaf because in the heat it it kept its consistency, it gave me the energy that I needed. Even if it's an aspect of what I've done that you can take and help you, that's great because it means that you have more of a chance potentially to to reach your goals, whatever that might look like. So I'm very much that kind of like I will I will absolutely share my experience with you but please don't think that if you replicate everything that I did that it'll mean that you'll get what I got because we're all individual we're all human we all deal with different things physiologically mentally etc yeah that's a really important factor to throw in there eh? it's like here's what worked Mm. for me yeah mirror it and it, yeah, you won't get the same outcomes. Yeah, that's 100% yeah. certainty. I think that we're coming off the back of the weekend. It was the festival that was UTMB and all the races that go in there. And all across social media, I've seen people thanking their coaches and giving respect to their coaches for putting them in the right place to achieve, sometimes exceed their expectations, you know, and then we. Stephen and I speak, well, Stephen, you've got personal experience of the benefits of working with a coach mm-hmm. and also coaching from both sides, from coaching people too. Yep. It can make a massive difference. And obviously Sabrina's spoken about the the benefits of that as well. I listened recently to, Sabrina's also a podcast host, right? <laughs> yeah. I'll the give it a check. shout. Yeah, yeah, the Checkpoint podcast. The Checkpoint, yeah. And Excellent just, listening. It is. And just recently, in episode 40, I went, went back and checked it. How to handle your head. I heard Sabrina talking, don't be shit. And that's a good mantra to have. You know, there's, there's again, there's loads of variations around that. Yeah. Don't be shit. 
Don't fuck it up. And you know, it was, yeah. And it was a mantra that at MDS, Marathon Safe Club, you, you share, sometimes with people you don't know at all, a, a, it's called a, a bivouac, a, a tent in a bivouac, mm. which is an open-sided tent. There's eight of you in there, men and women. And, and my tent uh, was Tent 142, and I just have so much love for them. And we, we nicknamed ourselves the Desert Ferals because at the start of the start of the week we're all like oh we're just gonna go to the loo and we're just gonna take our toilet roll and our wipes and at the end of the week it was anything goes you know <laughs> we were the smelliest dirtiest disco- but it became a battle cry we'd see each other and we'd scream desert feral but also on our arms we wrote don't be shit and and what and people might think oh my god that sounds hard. but it's as you said it's like you take from that what what you need and for me just to look down and see that and to know that every other member of my tent had that as well because we were all at separate places just gave me a little smile and a little boost and for me on MDS like don't be shit was like don't forget to take your salt tablets because that's really important and if you forget your salt tablets you're being a bit shit because that's just common sense so it's you take from these I think you take from these mantras that we use what you need from them. Don't be shit is just one. I <laughs> have many one-liners. That's <laughs> so right. You scribble them on the inside of your wrist or something like that. Yeah. Just a, a memory yeah. jog. Yeah. Or or indeed yeah. have them tattooed. John's got many tattoos on his on his arm. Yeah. Both of which say don't be shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's tattooed inside my head. Oh, tattooed on your brain. Time. Yeah, 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 and I think sometimes, um, certainly a lot of the things, and one of the, one of the biggest things that happens that used to happen for me was I make the same mistake time and time and time again. Oh, Eventually, yeah. I realise maybe don't do that. Maybe yeah. try something else and learn from it. You know, so yeah, totally, cool. totally. Well, right, I want to take us on to our next topic, which is one that, that I know that. Sabrina's got a huge passion for um, and I can't wait to hear all about it that is Black Trail Runners um, we just want to know how it all began and how it's grown as to you know, the movement that it's become now yeah. um, so Black Trail Runners was formed in July 2020 and earlier in the podcast I talked about an experience that I had in 2019 when I was training for TDS which is one of the UTMB races and I talk about it in my book Black Black Sheep on the chapter Snowblind and what it was long story short I was in a, a B race for TDS so the race before I went to UTMB and I was navigating um, just coming off um, Col de Chauvin so coming down into uh, Lac Combal, kind of Refuge Elizabeth, so that kind of area for anyone that knows. And there was still snow on the ground and I was going along a narrow path and I slipped and I was hanging on to the side of a very almost vertical drop. And I was screaming and, cr- and, and calling for help, please help me. And now we all know we're all runners and anyone listening to this that's a runner, if you are in a race and you see someone who's in massive distress as a human you stop you put your race to the side and you do everything you can to help and in that race I was hanging there and I was screaming and I couldn't I had clumps of snow coming off in my hand and five white men ran straight past me as if I wasn't there and 
did nothing to help me. Now, my experience living as a black mixed race woman all of my life, I have felt episodes where I have not been given help that I that my white counterparts were given because of the colour of my skin. Never before in a race situation. Of course, I've stood at many start lines. I've looked around and I've seen no other representation of black or brown people. That kind of became a norm in terms of, oh, well, and I would say, I would say, oh, well, maybe they're ahead of me. Maybe people that look like me are ahead of me. And they never were. They were just, there was, they just weren't there. But for that to happen to me in a situation in a mountainscape that was new to me, in a, in a sport where my morals are, I would stop and help. Um, I was helped by the sixth man that came along. And he was an Italian. He didn't speak English. I didn't speak Italian. As I, as I describe in the book, he, with all brute force, lifted me off that ledge and saved my life as far as I'm concerned. But it very much, it, it messed with me. It messed with me for about, I, I went to do TDS. I got to Fort De La Platte and I pulled out because I just, my head wasn't in it. I was constantly scared about falling and, and not being helped. And that that basically led me to start to think, like, are these places safe? Are these trail spaces safe for people of colour? Because I wasn't given the help that I should maybe would have been afforded. And people say to me, well, how can you know? How can you know that the only reason they didn't help you was because of the colour of your skin? And my reply to that is because of my lived experience. Mm-hmm. because of my lived experience of being a black mixed race woman and that being my lived experience in terms of not being given the opportunities the support the help throughout my life so had I been white hanging off that ledge had I looked like someone that they maybe loved or or were friends with or whatever would they have reached out in my experience yes so that led to me asking, like, where are the black trail runners? Like, where's the community? Like, where are people that look like me who love trail running and maybe feel these feelings of well, where are other people that look like me? So they're not trail runners. And that led to the launch, um, me, me coming together with uh, a couple of other black trail runners, men and women, and and, you know, we just sat like we are tonight. We sat on a Zoom and we said, look, do we start a community? Do we? And, and what does that look like? And are we going to be a campaigning group? And what does that look like? And then in July 2020, we, we yeah, we decided we're going to launch. Um, we went out there with a letter to UK race organisers. Um, saying, look, we believe that there's a problem with diversity in UK trail running, in Europe, in global trail running, in terms of a massive lack of diversity. 4.5% of the UK population identify as black or black mix. Yet the data we have then told is that less than 0.7% of people that participate in trail events are black or black mix. And that that is staggering. But the biggest, the biggest, I guess trolling or negative comment we get is well all you need all you need to trail run is a pair of trainers and it couldn't be further from the truth when it comes to why people of color aren't represented in the sport of trail running there are barriers that we knew at the beginning exist for black people that 
do not exist for white people. These are financial barriers. These are cultural barriers. These are transportation barriers. This is growing up in communities where the outdoors is not somewhere that is seen as safe. So therefore, why would you put yourself in a position of being unsafe or being seen as a threat? You know, being my, my black members of the black community who are male and who are trail runners, if you see a black male running often within the communities, within the environments, within the locations that they inhabit, that's not a safe thing for a black man to do, you know? So skills, you know, many of our members of our community, you know, they've ne- they, they didn't go to guides or brownies or scouts or, or you know, reading maps. This is the thing that people say as well as, well, all you need to know is how to read a map and need a pair of trainers. How do you know how to read a map if you've never, ever been shown? How do you know even how to orientate a map? I only learned to map read three years ago. And I, I'm not a great map reader, but I know the basics. But that someone took time to sit with me and say, Sab, this is, you know, this is what a contour line looks like, Sab. This is how you know if a really steep hill's coming. This is what it looks like on the map. This is what a footpath is like, Sab. This is private land. This is land that's open. Like, when you have privilege it's so easy to use the line all you want all you need is a passion to run when you live when you've lived your life as a person of color that has had to deal with barriers daily 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 what you don't want to have to do in your social life is put yourself in a position where again you're coming up against barriers and I think what black trailers what we set out to do at the beginning was to very much amplify what people of colour who want to experience trail running, but also campaign, campaign to UK race organisers to at least get them to ask when people register, what's your ethnicity? Because if you don't have the data to see where you are right now, how can you ever facilitate change? You know, how does any, how, how does any work that you do how can you see the results of that? And and Black Trail Runners now are the, the foremost uh, organisation in the UK that collects that ethnicity data. So every single race organiser we work with who have committed to want to diversify trail running, they feed us with information. Obviously, it was all kind of GDPR, but we get that ethnicity data so that we can see, they can see where they are, and we can see what the landscape looks like in terms of the work that us and other organisations are doing. Um, and we do that, we do that across, we do that at grassroots level, we have events, we have online uh, skills forums, we've got our first 300 person sold out trail event that's taking place in two weeks in Dunstable Gown, 70% black and brown people, 30% white allies, everyone who wants to see a more diverse trail running landscape. So those event organisers who say, oh, well, we've tried that. We've tried to get more people of colour here. We've tried to get more females, for example. What we say now is, look, we created an event nine months ago and it was sold out within a couple of months. Like, black people want to trail run. You just have to have black people around the table in terms of that organizing team that really understand what community you want in order to facilitate that sorry that's a really long-winded <laughs> long-winded answer to the question but the community from the moment that we launched snowballed it just 
we're a UK charity, we became a charity last year, but actually our members are global because whether you're in the US or Brazil, France, you know, the problem in terms of the diversity in trail running exists. Don't apologise for the long answer. I think that I think we all needed to hear that story. And I think it's um, it's really powerful and something that is a hundred percent like no, from 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 my perspective, I think the um, the the gender question. Do you know? I, I see that um, changing, and I, yeah. I, I do see the the balance. Um, do you know? Oh no, no, quite fifty fifty. It, it's mm. it, it's becoming closer and closer. Um, but do you know? In, in terms of ethnicity, um, for I said yeah. that correctly, um, then yeah, it, it's it, it's it's really apparent. And mm. is the um, the, the the barriers that you speak about in terms of um during, uh, maybe lacking some of the life skills that you spoke about like mm-hmm. marketing and, and stuff mm-hmm. um, and and some of the other barriers to participate in and to getting out there and enjoying the trails what mm-hmm. are they perceived to be uh, if you could so basic so if i can tell you so in terms of the black population here in the uk following kind of empire windrush etc cetera, etc cetera, you know, many of many members of the black community were sent to cities to help to rebuild England, etc. So therefore, a lot of our community have live in urban environments. Yeah. Now, I'm I'm privileged. I live in the Cotswolds. I don't have to get on a train, a bus, use fuel to get into the countryside or into what we we consider the Great British Outdoors. But you know, if if I want to get from London to the to the Cotswolds, it's hundred quid on the train. You know, then if I want, you know, from a kit perspective, you know, you're talking about a pair of trail shoes, you know, like between 80 and 150 quid, you know, then you've got hydration packs. You know, you know, you need to be able to have kind of like a fully charged mobile phone trail running, especially when you're training for these races. You know, you need to have the time to do it as well, to get the training sessions in, to get out to the outdoors over the weekend. So massive what, what we work on a lot. And that we've seen it, um, we we've seen it as a massive barrier. Is that financial barrier? Yeah. You know, black people are not, you know, for for aeons, etc., have not been paid the same level in terms of our white counterparts, and that impacts upon the decisions we make as to where we spend our disposable income. So therefore, you know, if it's costing before you've even set foot on a trail, a hundred to one hundred twenty-five quid to get from an urban environment out to Surrey or Kent or where we've got our event, like Dunstable Downs, even to get a train from London to Luton is like 30 quid. And then because, for example, the National Trust Dunstable Downs is not at Luton train station, that's 20 quid for an Uber there and back, that's 40 quid. So you can see it just starts to build up. And and one thing that we do at Black Trail Runners is that we have a no questions asked policy in terms of financial support so if there is a race or an event that a member of our community wants to get to and finance is a barrier then we help them with the transportation costs of that for our event at Dunstable Downs we have a hundred kids and and adults coming from London and we are putting on coaches to bring them to our event because we don't want people to we we do not want members of our community to not be able to participate because they can't afford to get there they can't afford 
to get into the great British outdoors. So financial, so the financial yeah. barrier is huge. That feeling safe is massive as well. You know, that feeling safe when you've grown up in a community or an environment where the outdoors has just not been somewhere that you have felt a sense of community or felt a sense of belonging or or it's been get you know, the gatekeepers, you know, and, and we we talk about these, you know, there's a lot of land in the UK which is privately owned. So therefore if you trespass on it, you know, I've been in running groups where, you know, we've had someone come up in a four by four and say you're not supposed to be here, kind of what are you doing here? That takes on a whole new dimension when you're like a black or brown person as well. So therefore, you know, that skills, knowledge of how do I create a route? How do I follow a route? You know, how can I ensure that I'm safe on that route? What do I need to carry when I'm out there? Um, even down to like people that are new to trail running, how how is trail running different to that type of running that I may have been doing on the roads? You know, is a different skill? Is it a different technique that I need? Also, the, the massive thing is representation. Mm -hmm. You know, I talk a lot about growing up and seeing magazines where I didn't see myself represented as a little girl or as a teenager. Certainly when I got into running, I would look in runner's world, I would look in women's running and I didn't see an amateur athletes that were women of colour who were in trail, who were out trail running. I just didn't see them. And what that says to you is, well, maybe I don't belong here. Maybe this isn't for me. Maybe, maybe there's a reason that I'm not, I can't see myself represented in these magazines or on that TV show or on that online website. So that representation matters. It really, really matters. Because when you can see someone that looks like you doing that thing that you want to do, it just puts that thought into your head, maybe I can do that too. And I think the one thing that Black Trail Runners the community does well is we are proud to represent we are proud to to be to hype ourselves up to hype up members of our community because we know that it inspires and I think that's the reason I do what I do on my social media is like you know I'm a size 12 thick thigh mixed race mum of four granny of three who's just out there trying to like be the just enjoy these beautiful spaces that felt hidden and closed off for so many years. And um, I've learned everything I've learned. I've learned because someone has had the time and the grace and the, the passion about trail running in the mountains and the outdoors to show me. And it's my job to pass that on to the next generation, you know, because I just come back from UTMB and, you know, I can't honestly say that I saw more than a handful of black people in any of those races, any of those races. UTMB, I watched the start, 2,600 people. I think I spotted two black men. And, you know, that's European mountain running. And, it's, you know, as we spoke about before, it's the mecca of mountain running is UTMB. But we have to ask really uncomfortable questions and be willing to have those conversations because it's in those conversations that I know massive change can come because I've seen it but ultimately within those organizations that are in charge of 
thinking up entry criteria, creating more equitable races, creating more inclusion, they have to want to do that. Because if they don't, if they're being performative, which is like seeing it as a tick box, it'll never change. We'll never have more diversity in trail running. So part of my passion is is to be here to have those conversations and and the community that's grown around black trail runners and how big we are and how passionate we all are you know we want to we want to see the change you know I always say I don't I live for the day that there doesn't have to be a black trail runner trail running really really is this inclusive sport that we want it to be but it's not and that's the reason that we have black trail runners John yeah yeah um I've got a lot of wait, a lot of actual observations or, 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 or rather than questions. Mm-hmm. I just want to pick up on the, the someone that uh, Sabina mentioned about black people, brown people, white allies. Everybody's got a part to play mm. here. Every single person's oh, yeah. got a part to play. Yeah. You know, so um but I think you've explained it really, really well. And also It'd be great when there is that day when there's no black trail runners yeah. organization, yeah. And, you know. So, but I think, and I, I go back to your social media. The message I get from your social media is, "I am doing this. You can too." That's what that's what oh, I yeah. take. So, brilliant. I'm so, so glad. I'm so glad because that's all I ever wanted. That's all I ever want, and I, I don't call myself an influencer because I don't like the term. I'm just. I'm just a, I'm just a woman just trying to be as authentic as possible and trying to do her little bit in the world to to create a bit of change that I really really believe will enhance just the experience for all but for all of us could be because you're absolutely right we're called black trail runners but nowhere within our literature does it say if you are a white trail runner, you cannot join us because we know it's together, that togetherness, mm-hmm. that all of us fighting for that same purpose, which is to create a more diverse trail running space. Together, we are stronger. Yeah. And, and that's what I always say to people who say, well, you're, you know, the trolls that will not allowing you know white people to join and I'm like no 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 you're not gonna you know you're not gonna you're not gonna do that to me actually it says it says nowhere if you are a white ally and you want to see you want to look around at any race that you're at or any event and you want to see a truly representative population then join Black Trail Residence help us do that. I'm in. I am in. Where to get a t-shirt? You get a t-shirt online. Yeah, I know. I know. I've got one in my. I've got one in my basket right now. So. I love um, it. I love it. Yeah, I, I like the logo and, and everything. And what I was thinking, you know, when you were going through, especially when you were speaking about those barriers, um, and I think the one that jumped out at me most was that, you know, the financial um, mm. barriers. Or and, and I think it's easy to take it for granted. We're lucky. You said you're lucky, and and where, where mm. you are in the world that you can get onto the trails easy. Mm. Um, that there is no enough because of the energy crisis mostly a little disposable income there to be able to pay yeah. for, for things like race entries and, and stuff but that urban sort of demographic of of the the UK and how uh, actually where I'm getting is how much 
talent is out there in terms uh you know operating at the at, at the sharp end of trail running um, and that's no forgetting the masses who would get so much out of it just from because it's such a welcoming community it's like everything that everybody that we speak to everybody that's in the community well that we are part of which is you know, mostly up here in scotland would welcome it with open arms yeah. on well or on that's my view anyway john i don't know about you and it's just i don't know there, there's a bit of frustration growing in my head which i know i will not mirror your probably amount of frustration that you see but hopefully you see the point I'm yeah talking. and the thing is it's not and this is the thing i always say like absolutely you know the majority of the majority of trail run the trail running community are welcoming and certainly if i if i do talk and i say you know put your hands up if you believe that there isn't a problem with diversity in trail running like uh-huh. you know barely you know I, I, I don't think anyone's ever put their hand because no. people i say all you need to do is look around at the events you're at and if you see black and brown people represented enough then you know you'll you'll think there's not a problem so people know that there's a problem but there's, there's that, that thing isn't it? if knowing there's a problem and actually wanting to do something to help change that and i think that that's that's that shift in terms of whether you are a person that's like well that's just the way it is you know it'll it'll eventually change or whether you're the person that knows that you actually have to take action in order to facilitate change rather than just sit back and kind of let other people do it or let black people do it um so it's that's really important to me like when the allies that we have in our community like they do the work in order to support diversifying that trail running field and it can be something as simple people say well what can I do what what can I do as a white person and I say here's one thing that you can do it's really really easy the next event you're at trail running event if you look to your left and to your right and you believe that the event you're at isn't diverse you're not seeing any or very many black and brown people Go to the race organiser, go to the race director and say, can you tell me what you're doing to encourage more people of colour to this event? Because they care about you, because your money pays for their event to be on. Without you, it can't happen. So therefore, you have to make that decision to kind of vote with your feet and to use your voice in order to amplify and ask those questions. Because if we're all asking it together, people stand up and start listening. But if it's just the black and brown people, it's easy. And my experience showed me it's easy for people to say, oh, well, it's not going to cause too much of a problem if they don't come, you know. So so be an ally, you know, and that's a really simple thing that you can do. Just ask the question, look around you and ask the question. Well, Sabrina, I, um, I have the privilege of being a race assistant race director shall yeah. we say for a trail running race so yeah. you have my commitment um on that Thank front you. Um, and do you know if we can sign up to a charter somehow or anything like that absolutely then, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll email you perfect <laughs> perfect yeah thank you that's you know that's all ultimately you know i'm two weeks out from being a race my first race director i think i might be the uk's first black female race director trail race director um and my god it's 
what what's a job <laughs> but um it's you know I've learned a lot but the race directors that we work with the event directors you know from centurion to threshold to beyond the ultimate to you know to kind of these you know kind of larger large and small UK events you know all it all it is that commitment initially is that you will within your race registrations you will ask the ethnicity question ask people you know it's literally you know a drop down that's really easy to incorporate and then agree that you know that you'll collect that data and that you will share that data with us so it goes into our kind of master database so that we can see together as a community where we are and the changes that we can make year on year in order to bring that number up you know and then we will we are open we are open to working with race directors to have conversations around the barriers to access around small and large things that can be done in order to increase that diversity because we know we know that it can be done we know that we can create truly diverse events but you have to be having those conversations with people of color you know you have to be having those conversations brilliant absolutely fantastic i think i don't there's nothing more i think we can add to that i don't think that um the information's out there you know so, so if you are a race director and you're listening in do what you've got to do do what you've got to do get in touch it's not yeah yeah, it's not rocket science i think people like to i think what i've seen is that people that maybe aren't ready to do that work people that are quite happy with the safe status quo quite happy with the money that they make from their races Mm -hmm. you know it's you know that they don't respond or they don't they don't reach out but you know to me that's their loss for what you said a moment ago there is such a wealth of talent like future champions, future UTMB champions, future pick a race, pick a trip. That that untapped talent is where we work at the moment with the youth groups that we work with as well. But bringing that through to adults as well, master athletes that are there, that are starting to come through, that are winning races. You know, one of our members of our community only started trail running last july has gone out been winning trail races by huge margins so you know i this talent is there and it's just helping to support that whether it's individually or from a community point of view to help bring it through because then you get that representation you know we saw it anyone that follows mountain running sierra uh, zinal you know one the first you know the winners of the the men the female and male winners were black kenyan athletes you know, Killian Journey came fifth and was overtook by a black Kenyan athlete on the finish line because Killian thought he had it. And then this this guy that really wanted it came straight. So, you know, it's coming through and that representation is really important. But in order to get more of our people coming through, more diversity coming through, it's that personal commitment that I want to do my bit to help. And that's all we're asking for. I love your passion for it, Serena. I think... Um, <laughs> it's infectious and it's absolutely on the money as well it's, it's um, but, but it's i think john mentioned earlier about we like to discuss all aspects of running there's no a topic that we don't like to to lift the, the stone on this is a new one for us john mm-hmm. this is a, a new yeah. one for us um i also do you know up in in scotland i don't know if the problem is 
if, I don't know if it's a problem, if I don't know if that's the right way of framing mm-hmm. it or whatever, mm-hmm. is, is it exactly the same? I see a lot of communities um, you know, that, that aren't you know, of, of black ethnicity mm-hmm. who um, who have, have come and moved to Scotland recently and things like that and, and encouraging them as well into the, the sport um, and mm-hmm. that in, intimidation that we spoke about around about that very first time that you come along to a running club or an athletics club and feeling that this isn't for me this is this is not my tribe mm-hmm. um, so to speak but that um, idea that same idea about going along to a race and mm-hmm. you're yeah. 99% outnumbered or whatever mm-hmm. must be also you know I, I mean I can't yeah, it's hard for me to, to say oh mm. must be must be terrible um that sounds uh, ungenuine but I, I i hope again that you understand what i'm trying no, to say no no i totally and and please don't ever feel and i think this is the thing it's kind of like you know i i talk about you know conversations stilting and stalling because of like a fear of getting it wrong mm-hmm. and what i say is like let's have the conversation like have the conversation because if we don't have the conversation and you don't feel as though you can say something for fear of getting it wrong then those are conversations that not so I'm I'm here for the conversation but you're absolutely right you know I was in Chamonix last week with um Haroon who leads a organization called Active Inclusion Network and that includes like Muslim hikers Muslim runners Muslim walkers uh, Muslim hikers Muslim runners Muslim cyclists and you know I have links in with um various organizations across the board whether it's um you know LBTQIA whether it's brown people whether it's ultimately we just want to see a more reflective population in the sports that we do um and 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 i think that is starting to happen and and our voices are starting to be heard more but there's still a lot of work to do you know what the outdoors is for everybody there you go every single person so and it's not just about rocking up to races it's about having the conversation everywhere you go and yeah and taking away any stigma barriers that exist have that conversation and we spoke earlier on about that first day at school first day in a job yeah. whatever be the be that person that puts yeah. a hand out and says how are you yeah. doing just I be run. that person just be yeah. that person you know yeah. keep yeah. it like that sabrina you've mentioned your book a few times Okay. <laughs> did very well. You mentioned your book a few times. Why why should I, why should anybody read the book Black Sheep? I think that if you want to understand what it is to uh what it is to be a person of colour living in a rural space. So I I didn't grow up in an urban environment. I grew up in a rural town where no one looked like me. So that story wasn't told. There were no books out there that I could grab as a kid, as a young adult, um, that that reflected my experience. What is it to inhabit a space where you are a target because of the colour of your skin? What is it to deal with that trauma growing up? But as well as that, kind of, you know, I talk about the racism that I encountered and that I still do, but also I talk about being a teenage mother. You know, these stereotypes in my life that I've had to break down barriers for so I have my first baby at 17 I as I've it's ever, as I've reflected in this conversation I'm a recovering alcoholic I deal with the episodes of depression and anxiety so I wanted I wanted to if there was ever going to be one book that I wrote 
it was going to be this book because this book didn't exist. And in writing this book last year, here it is again, um, while I was writing it and going back to all of those places and opening up that Pandora's box, Black Sheep is a series of stories of events in my life chronologically that shaped the woman that's talking to you today. And while writing it, I just would continue to say to myself, my mantra was that if it connects with one person, job done. Just one person. Doesn't need to be, I don't need to sell millions. If I can just, if one person says to me, Sab, thank you. Like, and I mean, look at the Amazon reviews. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's done everything that I wanted it to do. And it was doing it from day one. So even if I never write another book again, and but there is talk about another book, um, very much focused on just running this time. But um, if I never write another book again, I'm so, so proud that I got the opportunity and set aside the time to write this book because I know that people have felt felt connected, felt seen and felt that they can go off and do their own adventures because of what I've done. And, and that just makes me just feel so privileged to be able to have done that and yeah it will be around for the rest of my rest of my life so it's a, it's a nice thing to to leave as a bit of a legacy I guess. That was a pretty awesome pitch. Was pretty, <laughs> <laughs> I've got my, my, my Amazon baskets now as well. In fact, in fact where, where are we best to direct our listeners who um, we know are quite there's quite a few bookworms out there yeah um, I mean to, to, I, I, direct, I guess I direct people to Amazon because from, certainly from an ego point of view it's nice to see my book like top 10 <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually you know if you if you type in Sabrina Pace Humphrey's Black Sheep then it will bring yes. up various if you I know a lot of people who are um are, are totally non-Amazon so you can get it from Waterstones and W. H. Yep. Smiths and Blackwells, etc. So if you just type in Sabrina Pace Humphrey's Black Sheep online, there'll go. be a link there. But yeah, a lot of if for ease, Amazon, yeah. Five star rate. All the major booksellers are will be stalking Black Sheep. <laughs> but also, most importantly, leave a review wherever you buy it. Leave a review. Please, because they really like. I always say that to people. Like, please, if you do one thing please even if it's a couple of lines like leave a review because this book feels like from what um since it went on sale in june it's it's very much a word of mouth book it's very much a book that if people are into it like they're consuming within like a day they can't uh -huh. put it down and and they're sharing it so please if there's one thing that you do that just really helps to get that not just my message but i talk about black trail runners in there and and diversity and trail it's just please leave a review and, 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 you know, tell your friends and family about it. I always say to people, buy a book for yourself and buy a book to give to somebody else. Because <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm just a hustler. <laughs> okay, you can stop the pitch now. You can stop the pitch. <laughs> and I'm hoping in this book, the second book about running, that Young Hearts Run Free gets a wee mention, at least somewhere in there. That would be fantastic. Oh, my favourite pod podcast interview of August 2022. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> two two Scots two Scottish men who um yeah kind of yeah gave me something to giggle about on a Monday night in late August but 
<laughs> Absolutely, you'll get a message. Good review of that. Sure. We'll take that. We'll take that. Okay, listen, uh, we're coming to the sort of close of a uh, play here, but we've got two or three questions that we'd like to ask you. Um, one of them is probably a wee bit more serious than the other two, and that's about you've obviously you've told a fantastic story about where you started running, where that came from, but also we never even got touched on the spine really but the marathon oh. the sable and different distances but for anybody running now from whatever perspective you want to take this from sabrina but from somebody that's maybe thinking about starting to run or somebody that does run what are there any sort of wee tips of bits of wisdom you could pass on for everybody for me i would say like ditch the watch like ditch yeah. any any Anything that you have on you that makes you feel can can make you feel shit about yourself. I wish someone would have told me, especially when I started, not not necessarily when I started, but when I transitioned from road to trail running. I wish someone would have said to me, Sab, ditch the watch for a couple of months because it doesn't translate. Your your road time will not translate to your trail running time initially. Because I think with all the gadgets that we have, with our watches, with Strava, with Kudos, etc., and Strava, no, I say this, but I just think it be, it can become a tool to batter ourselves with. Mm. Ultimately, there is no better freedom than moving your body today in the way that feels good for you. And that might be an eight-minute mile, but that also might be an 18-minute mile. And that's okay. You are where you need to be. Brilliant. So a few people have mentioned that recently, Stephen, isn't it? We've spoken to you about not getting focused on time or actually um, focusing on not being focused on time. Absolutely. You know, enjoy it. Brilliant. Yeah. You, you described that much better than I did. So thank you. <laughs> thank you very much for that. Stephen. Yeah. Well, we're, yeah, we're like John says, we're getting to the business end. And we've, we always close up the podcast with a couple of regular questions. One of which is an entry in our Young Hearts Run Free dialect dictionary, which could be a, a dialect word from where you were growing, brought up, where you've travelled, anything that, um, around the world that we then either submit into the dictionary. In fact, I don't think we've had one where we've said, no, it's not getting in. That would be pretty <laughs> shit with us. So yeah, over you, Sab, um, just a, a word that maybe means something. A word that means something. Oh my God. See, there's two there's two two things. So when I was a kid, my my mum who's Scottish always uh, would say to me, and actually I've got a picture of it on the wall because my best friend bought it for me. She said, Hold on, we should get on with <laughs> oh man! I just had a flashback. Well. I just had a flashback to my youth there. What did we think on me? And my um best friend found a, a photo of that for one Christmas, and she bought it for me. Um, and around, I, I think around here, where, so that's kind of like my Scottish kind of my uh-huh. Scottish thing. I, I guess around here, um, it would be like all right, my lover. So like around it, it's you know it's kind of that Gloucestershire accent. It's like, oh, my lover. If you kind of yeah, if you kind of go by people, and it's kind of like a yeah, hello, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> right, my lover. 
<laughs> Brilliant. I love them both. I'm I'm drawn towards the Scottish one. No, I am. You know, I my grander was. I'll talk about my grander in the book. He was he was a hell of a man. Um, good and bad, but ultimately he he was he he loved me to bits. But um, he would make me. One of the things I talk about, but he he made me recite every time I was up there to him and his friends. Um, as a brother, men like neck, neck, neck is lucky. You know, hanky by a daughter. Brilliant, man. <laughs> it's like listening. I don't know if you've ever heard of the. I think he was a comedian, uh, Stanley Baxter, and he used to do these big, like you're saying. What your vision got on it? There was no spaces, you know. It was just all joined together, and obviously your granddad's maybe been influenced by that as well. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. I, know. Yeah, I like. Uh, it's yeah, not just Hudger wished. It's Hudger wished and get on with it, <laughs> <laughs> which is a prompt for get your arse in gear, which is yeah, another exactly. one entirely. Love it. Exactly. Thank you. And Thank you. yeah, last question, John. Yeah, last. we we have. Um, the last few seasons of um, our, the the podcast we've been putting together, the Buff Buff, which is, we kind of call them buffs because that's copyrighted. Yeah. So we have the Buff Buffs. And, um, but we have a the Buff Buff collection as a playlist. So we're on a the Buff Buff collection, volume three. So, and it's all about songs that you feel either motivate you, you love them, might inspire you, inspire other people. Which song would you like to nominate for inclusion in the Buff Buff Collection Volume 3? I think the song that I am loving at the moment, so I'm a massive Beyonce fan. Her new album, Renaissance, is out. And there's a song in there called Cozy. And it's all about just being really comfortable and cosy in your own skin and self-love and acceptance. And I think it's taken me 44 years to finally feel comfortable being who I am, warts and all, you know. And I think that, you know, I love Beyonce for many, many reasons, but I'm really loving her latest album and I really love that song. So, yeah, I think when you're running along and that comes on and she's talking about being cosy in her skin and cosy with who she is and cosy, and it, yeah, it's great. It's a great tune. Brilliant. I, I must admit, I've, n- I've never listened to that yet, but, <laughs> but I shall. Get it on I your shall. playlist. It'll be on the playlist. It's definitely going right in there. It won't be the first time Beyonce's been on our playlist, John. Oh. I think there's been at least one appearance previously. So Yeah, and I think just at the weekend there as well, a lot of, um, I'm sure Young Hearts Run Free and Instagram, people that follow that, you get the same sort of wee stories at the top. And a lot of our um, stories that I saw over the weekend was Beyonce's run the world who runs the world yeah. and, and because yeah. and Stephen mentioned the the gender thing I, I see a shift to the yeah. to the you know there's some very very strong performances from women out there so mm-hmm. um Beyonce mm-hmm. fills that groove no problem this week so thank you very much and it's yeah. great to hear the way you described that as well that this will be taking you 44 years but hopefully cozy's yeah. where you are yeah, I think I'm I'm more cosy than I've ever been, I think, in my own skin and with the woman that I am and the, the beliefs that I hold. And, um, you know, there are ups and downs. You know, the life of an activist is is challenging at times. But 
the work is worth it. It's worthy really work. So I'll continue yeah. to do that. Sabrina, it's been a bit of a mind blower tonight. I've been educated, <laughs> definitely been educated, but I love your passion. Please don't lose that. I don't, I don't think that was going to happen. But I absolutely <laughs> have really enjoyed our chat. Um, and hopefully people listening in will go out and spread that message too. You know, so Please do. Um, Please it's do. been brilliant. I wish you every health and happiness and have a great future selling of books, both Black Sheep <laughs> and the one that's to come. Thank you very much for your time tonight. I'll pass over to Stephen just to say a, a final. No, I just I, I've loved speaking to you tonight, Sabrina. I I got treated to uh, twenty minutes in your company before John John joined us beforehand as well, and I could tell right away it was going to be a good um a, a good podcast episode but maybe not quite as good as it actually turned out to be um yeah I've, I've learned so much and maybe learns the wrong word I've, I've appreciated a lot more I think mm-hmm. um stuff that I've maybe taken for granted and um mm-hmm. yeah and and so it's kind of woken up my, my senses a, a little bit you've definitely got a couple of white allies here you know if if if, if you'll have us which I'm sure you will I'll have you I'll <laughs> yeah. take all the white I'll take all the white allies that yeah, I can we- get absolutely um, and no thank and, you you know the opportunity to, i think the opportunity to talk about uh, the op- opportunity to potentially talk to a new audience as well yeah. and you know as you said kind of north of the border kind of my you know my home <laughs> so yeah. it's yeah you know we didn't even get into talking about the ramsey rounds and charlie ramsey and any of that but hey there's always there's always future episodes listen there'll yeah. be a second book there'll be a second <laughs> appearance on young house run free sabrina they're well they're absolutely uh, no, well I'm, I'm always here for the conversation and if any of your listeners you know follow me on instagram sab runs miles and you know i'm yeah i'm one of those people that you know I, I do my best to kind of get back to kind of dms and and help to kind of engage and, and point people in the right direction you know if i can't help then i normally know someone that can so thank you mm-hmm.